for those of you who don't know me, I'm Corey Bendix, the pastor of Outreach and Evangelism, and um, do a little theology stuff with Lead Well as well. Um, good, good to see you. If you have your Bibles, rock those to uh, Psalms chapter 23, if you would. Uh, Psalms chapter 23, we are in the final week of a series we've been doing called Soul Care. Soul Care, we've been talking about um, what does it look like to get a vision of what your soul could be. That what if your soul was an oasis in the midst of a desert called the culture that we live in? What if God wanted to form and fashion and join you and participate in this process of you caring for, keeping the soul that you have on loan? We're not the captain of our soul. We are a keeper of it. It's very important. Your soul will be asked of you when you die. The question is, what will you do with it? We've been talking about, that's, I'm a little strong, sorry. Let me just, just, let me just relax, relax, take a breath. But considering how easy it is for souls to become sinkholes, become hollow, empty, where our lives, they, they crumble as a result of the foundation laid upon it. No one says this better, in my opinion, than the great philosopher Jack Harlow. Uh, for those of you who don't know who, who he is, uh, he's a rapper, um, and he's on New Balance commercials. Um, in his latest, uh, you know what, I don't support what he says, just, just, just let me let him speak for you, okay? This is what, it, this is what he says in, his, in, in a fantastic song called Denver. Walking past a homeless in a Rolex, just got off the stage on the Today Show, and I basically feel soulless. I've seen enough of me on this little screen. I've become so vain and insecure about everything. I feel all this pressure to live up to what they tell me I'm going to be, so I isolate myself. You can't help me. It's on me. But deep down, I feel myself wondering if the people that write about me are right about me. I'm looking out of heaven's window. I know that there's hell around me. Nothing is more disheartening to discover that while you may have everything on the outside, you are hollow and bankrupt in your soul. The most valuable commodity, according to the great philosopher Jack Harlow, is he's longing for a healthy, integrated, strengthened soul. Love what Dallas Willard, gonna continue to rock him because he's my hero when it comes to all things soul. This is what he says. Our soul is like an inner stream of water which gives strength, direction, and harmony to every other element of our life. When the stream is as it should be, we are constantly refreshed and exuberant in all that we do because our soul itself is then profusely rooted in the vastness of God and his kingdom, including nature, and all else within us is enlivened and directed by that stream. The soul is the most basic level of life in the individual, and we must do whatever we can to keep it in his hands. What he's saying is that the soul is an air traffic controller. 
connects all that we are. And we are not the captain of that soul. I'm going to say it again. We are the keeper of it. God designed us so that our choices and our thoughts and our desires and our emotions and our behavior would be in perfect harmony with each other and would be powered by an unbroken connection with God. In perfect harmony. In, in perfect integration with him and his creation. This is what you're made for. The question is, how do we keep our soul in the master's hands? What, is it, what are the ways by which God typically forms and shapes our soul? What does that even look like? To be shaped in our soul by the one that gave it to us. How, what is that? What's, what's the process? Being formed in the image of Jesus inside of us. How do we know that we're on the right track? I want to title this message, Healing Hands. Healing Hands. Keeping our soul in healing hands. If you would, stand as we read the scriptures, Psalms chapter 23. And I, I hope that you receive a divine hug from God's word. I, I'm serious. This is going to hug you. This is gonna, I'm going to read it slow. I'm going to read it carefully. Uh, what you're going to find is I'm going to read it and you are literally going to go, you're going to be able to breathe. And so I, my, my hope is that I just scratch the surface of layers and layers and layers and layers and layers of, of, of goodness, beauty, of, of God's character that you can go home and you can go back to this and you can read it over your soul. Psalms 23. Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord, will you bless the reading of your word. Amen. You may be seated. Much of my life changed one night uh, as a senior in high school. Um, just to give you a, before I, I tell this story, I told this story years ago, but really felt like I needed to tell it again tonight. At the age of 10, um, I I found myself in a tent um, where a magazine was placed into my hands, opening up a world that would be dark, that would be, um, that would grab me, the deepest part of who I was as a young boy. 
immersed into a world of um, fascination and guilt all at the same time. Seeing something that no 10-year-old boy should see. That world um, hooked, put a hook in my soul um, for, for years, struggled in how, we, how to, to process that. In high school, I uh, was handed a video, a VHS recording. Back in the day, VHS. This thing was nasty, though. It's not a VHS that you would want to watch. And, um, and I, uh, it was extended to me, it was given to me, and, and, I, and I watched it. I watched it a lot in high school. Um, until one night, watching shame, Explicit activities, entering into a world, and I felt a hand on my shoulder. It was the hand of my father. It was healing hands. And I look back in the midst of a moment that so many thoughts are running through my mind. Thoughts of shame, thoughts of guilt, thoughts of promises, of things I'll never do ever again. And yet, without saying a word, this hand had a voice. And that voice said, I'm with you. We're going to get through this. Turn it off. The text that we just read, he restores my soul has the, the language, not just of when we read it, we read restores my soul, we read refresh my soul, and we just kind of move on. But what the actual language of the Hebrew is, so much more. It means to bring back liveliness or vitality with care, commitment, and intentionality literally means to take hands. Isaiah 58 has this amazing picture of God rebuilding the rubble with his hands. He's rebuilding it. And he's saying he's restoring it. Bringing something that is crushed and without uh, value, and he's taking his hands and he's rebuilding it into vitality. And what we're told in this text, according to David, is that, is that the hope that we have in the God of heaven is that he has healing hands to enter into your journey to take your soul, no matter where it is in its condition, and he's entering into your story with an expectation and a participation and a commitment to take his hands and to bring an ongoing active restoration throughout the totality of your life, no matter where you are, is that we have a God who has a commitment to enter into your world and to bring healing hands. With healing hands, you have to be close. With healing hands, there has to be shoulder to shoulder. With healing hands, there has to, this is not something you do from a distance. What this is saying is that we have a God who is so committed to your soul 
and ultimately to you, made in his image, that he is now, is now reminding you even here, here tonight that he, he wants to have healing hands in this journey of, of learning what does it look like for my soul to be refreshed, renewed, and ultimately bring vitality to it in the way that it was designed to be. What is that process? David says a couple of things. He says this process, he says he leads me. Verses one to three, he, he, he leads me. That hands that heal as we follow. Now, when we hear the word leadership, leading, for some of us, we think about the political process that will happen over the course of the next few months, and we're going to hear slogans, one-liners, of what that person will do to make everything right. And for most of us, when we hear promises, we just go dark inside. That, that, and it's not, I think, for, from a cultural side, when most of us, when we think about the, even the idea of leadership, it brings a comfortable cocoon of suspicion. When we see leadership, culturally speaking, we think that there is agenda or power dynamics at hand. Even though we have a longing to be led, we have suspicion about leadership. What does it look like? Can I really trust it? Who can I trust to lead me? And the ultimate, I mean, the question that, that all of us will have to ask is, is who will you let lead you? And if you don't choose a leader, you will be subconsciously, subconsciously, subconsciously led by something. Here, recently I saw a story of, of in Turkey in 2015, um, there was a, a collection of, of shepherds that decided that they were going to take a lunch break, and they saw one sheep go over the side. It was about a 15-meter drop, and one sheep fell to his death. Within 10 minutes... 400 sheep followed the one. And then an extra 1,100 followed that. 400 died because they're soft. And, and this is kind of weird. They are. The rest of the 1,100 survived. Because of what had happened, one went, the others went. We, we, we live in a world that we will be led by something. Subconsciously, we are going to go a certain direction, but the question is, what will lead us? I mean, we, we live in a, in, in a culture when it comes to, from a cultural side, our culture shepherds us. I mean, just look at the architecture of the environments that you go to. I mean, if you have kids and you go to a, gro a grocery store, um, I remember, you know, when we, we had small kids, I wanted to punch in the face the guy who created the candy line before you go to the checkout. They, they architect it specifically so you go through this aisle of hell called candy and cookies. And, and it's, it's designed, it's architected specifically to shepherd you certain places. We live in a world, culturally, the architecture of everything is shepherding us certain places. The selected curation of information towards an agenda. 
The algorithm shepherds you, gives you what you want. But here's the problem is that ultimately we, we want to lead ourselves. Like we rewrite the psalm to say, I am my shepherd and I want. I, I want this, I want that. I mean, we, we now get stuck into the cultural rhythms that you do what you feel and you are at the center of your world and whatever you want, you get. And the only problem with that is that I am my shepherd and I want, but it gives me no peace, no still waters, a valley of the shadow of death without comfort. And what the psalmist is doing beautifully is he's saying, no, the way that healing hands shepherd and guide and form my soul is, begins with the Lord as my shepherd. The Lord. Yahweh. You see, shepherds do one thing when they first purchase a sheep. They earmark the ear. They put a mark. Very specific mark. It's a lifelong mark. That mark is put on that ear to now set them apart to let the shepherd know exactly where the sheep are. You see, David is saying, I have been marked and the Lord is my shepherd. What, 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 what was he marked with? He was marked with an identity. He was a dearly loved son, marked by Yahweh. You know, before we talk about God shepherding your soul, you have to now, you've got to settle the identity question. When you think about what is the truest thing about you, you have to answer that question. And what David is saying is the truest thing about him was that he was a dearly Loved son. When you think about what does it look like for your soul to be put into the hands of one who can form it and shape it, it begins with the identity question. Do you wrestle with it? I know I do. My response to my wrestling is every morning, every morning, I wake up and I say two things. Lord, give me the desire to desire you. And I am a dearly loved son. This is what David is, is inviting us into, is that it begins being put into the hands of a healer, entrusting yourself to the one that has entrusted himself to you in the person of Jesus, begins with the identity reality. But not just that. Guess what else we've been marked with? The cross. You see... Was the one thing that David didn't have that we do is now we've been marked by one man who now declared himself to be a dearly loved son, stretched out his arms, and now surrendered so that you and I could now respond to the lordship question by saying, God, you surrendered for me, all of you for now, all, all of me. Like This is what we're told. This is the hope that we have that David didn't. That we now can be a cross-centered person, marked in our life by surrender. And one, one of the things that I love about a healthy soul, the questions that, that now you should, it should ring in your heart are things like this. When you think about 
this question of, of, of lordship and identity and the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is the one that now can guide me. The Lord is the one that now has arrested my heart. The Lord, can you answer these questions? Questions like, do I really belong to him? Do I really recognize his right to me? Do I respond to his authority and acknowledge his ownership? Do I find freedom and complete fulfillment in this arrangement? Do I sense a purpose and deep contentment because I am under his direction? Do I know rest besides a definite sense of exciting adventure in belonging to him? Does that is that awakened in your heart that when you think about belonging to the king and him being your shepherd, that doesn't narrow your margins, it widens them. It doesn't cause you to go, man, this is boring, this is overwhelming, I don't like this. No, no, no. It gives you freedom, it gives you excitement, it now gives you anticipation. Like this is what David is saying, is that, that this king is the one that leads me. Reminds me, when I think about the type of leading that David had, which was close contact that now gave permission to the Lord to guide him. It reminds me of, of when I used to do tri, tri, triathlons back in the day. Um, one of the last ones I did, there was, I saw something I'd never seen. There was a person who was blind. And, and he, he was about to enter into a half Ironman. So you're talking about a 1.2 mile swim, 56 mile bike ride, and a 13.1 mile run. He's blind. And yet what this man had is he had a rope connected to a guide. And this guide entered into the journey with him. And for the entire race, the only way for one man to finish was to now hold on tight to the guide. And the guide was maneuvering him around potential pitfalls and challenges and was helping him, encouraging him. But the only thing that this dude had to do was hold on tight to the rope. The guide is going to take you where you need to go. This is what David is saying about the type of leadership that the shepherd gives. The only way you can be formed in your soul by the king is for you to allow him to lead you like this. Do you have a relationship with the king where you give him permission to take you places you don't want to go? Do you have a relationship with the king that, that, that now it's almost as you are, as if you are blind to everything around, but your focus is specifically on the one who now has connected you to him through the rope of love, through this binding of identity. Like this is, is what David is saying. He's like, man, the only way for my soul to now be revived, to be renewed, to be restored, is for the hand of healing to lead me, to lead me places, even though it hurts, even though it's overwhelming. He leads me into peace and he leads me into righteousness. I mean, like, is, is the spirit of God, do you have a relationship with God, a closeness, a shoulder to shoulder? I mean, when you think about the type of leadership that Jesus gave, the better shepherd, the better David, you, you have one that says, Come, get into my yoke. It's easy. And I want to give you what? Rest for your soul. Yeah. How? Cheek to cheek, relationship 
with the one that you trust to lead you. I mean, we, we have this in John 10, a picture of Jesus. He says, I am the good shepherd and my sheep, what? Hear my voice. Like, what if you were to have a close cheek-to-cheek relationship in the yoke with the master where you did not have an agenda for him, but you came up underneath his? What if the voice, the leadership, the guiding, I know you have plans. What if your plans are a little bit different from his? Can they be changed because of his leadership? This is where our soul gets formed. This is where our soul gets maneuvered in healing hands. He says, he leads me. But then we go to verse four. He says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In the valley, hands that heal through suffering. How else does the Spirit of God shape you into the image of Jesus? It's through suffering. It's through pain. It's through spaces where you can't get out of it. Challenges that you just can't fix. You can't get out of that job. You can't get out of that marriage. You can't get, you can't get out. You're there. It is a, a valley. It is a space of pain. It is a place that is, feels like it's a shadow. You don't know why you're there. Um, last week, uh, again, I think it last Wednesday, I got a chance to talk about um, my, my first time cooking ribs. Well, I got a picture of these ribs. So I, this is my first time I've ever done this. And I was in this contest with my brother-in-law and my brother, and they're seasoned pros, okay? My brother-in-law's here. He, he actually won. I got to give, give him a little bit of credit, not much. Um, and, and so I'm doing this rib contest, and... I, I kind of liked it, but it was, it was a bit of a challenge, but I discovered something. When it comes to rib cooking, heat plus time plus environment equals perfection. Heat plus time plus environment equals perfection. The heat Suffering and challenge over time, staying in the environment that you're in equals perfection. Healing hands that form his image, his nature, his life in you. Have you ever noticed that the wounds that you have the wounds that you have, they're a window that you and others see God through. Do you realize that? The question, are the blinds open or closed? Your wounds are a window that you and others see God through. You see, your wounds and your pain and your journey is a constant reminder of God's hand of grace in your life. 
I can look back at the age of 10 being marked by that moment. Marked. Irrevocably. Went through seasons where I thought I was ruined in that moment. Do you realize, though, at the age of 44, over the course of the messy journey, messy, that now I, only I, have an opportunity to look at young men who are being slaughtered by that very thing. Wounds are the window that people and you see God through. That dude can only see the hope of God through the window of my pain. Do you realize that? Do you realize you're suffering? It's how healing hands now form and shape and guide and protect your soul. Like, like don't overlook your suffering. Don't wish it away. Don't think God is against you. Your suffering is the greatest gift that God can extend to you right now. Don't waste your pain. Don't waste it. Because certainly God is not. And guess what I love about this text? He says, my rod and my staff, they come for you. And the pain, and the suffering, the turmoil, the chaos. You have a God who says, my rod. You know what a rod, rod protects and it disciplines? I will. That, the, rod, the rod never was released from the shepherd's hand. He had that thing. A peace was there all time, all of it. He was ready to, to beat things that, that were trying to get the sheep, or he would discipline the sheep. The rod kind of reminds me of the word of God. In the midst of the discipline that you are facing, or the challenge, or the suffering, or whatever it is, I love what love what David says about God's word. In the midst of his pain, he says, this is Psalms 119.50. God, this is amazing. This is my comfort and my affliction, that your promise gives me life. Now, what did he have in his own life, in the midst of his formation, in the midst of his soul formation? The rod of your word. But then a staff, a staff, man, it is... A staff was that it never was used to beat anything. It was always used for comfort. Sheep would get scared going into a new gate, going down a new path, crags. The comfort, that staff, guiding, guiding. And the beauty of the power of the Holy Spirit as a comforter in your life, in the midst of the pain, of the spiritual formation that you are navigating through suffering that now guides, never beats, always guides. I heard a, a person tell, tell a story here recently when they were in, 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 in Israel, they were going on a tour and they saw a bunch of shepherds and a, and a, and a I'm sorry, a bunch of sheep and a shepherd. And, and they're like, hey, look at that shepherd. And the tour guide stops and says, no, that's not a shepherd. That, that dude right there, he's behind the sheep. He's trying to drive them someplace to kill them, most likely. A shepherd will never be in the back. They'll always be in the front. Man, we, have a, we have a shepherd who is going before us, protecting us in suffering with two things. His rod and his staff, it's his. And it's, very, it's the very things that he has. Guess what he gives to you and I? He gives us his own tools. To navigate the pain. 
And then it all leads to this. A table. Before I get here, let me ask you a quick question. What would it look like in your suffering? What would it look like to arrange your days in order to experience contentment, joy, confidence in your everyday relationship with God? Like, what would it look like for you to rearrange your days where you have an expectation in the midst of suffering that you are going to experience a real God expressing himself in contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday relationship with God? Like, what, what kinds of things, what would it look like for you to do that? What are some practical ways? Like, recently, so a couple days ago, my timing belt goes out. The rod and the timing belt goes into the piston, uh, ruining the engine. Got a car that I that just bought a couple years ago. It's dead. Sitting here going, trying to put kids through college. What's my response? Most of the time, my response would be like, oh, crap. Yeah. Or just go numb. Just go numb. Just try to fix the problem. No, no, I, I actually went, Lord, you are my shepherd. I shall not want. A resetting, a recalibrating, a reorienting of my heart around the one who's with me, who's guiding, who's protecting. He's not left me alone. And just I'm reminding myself of this reality of now I'm protecting my soul. Because if my soul gets out of whack, man, I, it's, not, it's only a matter of time before I start to go hollow inside and things will begin to crush me. Or I look to other things to try to bring a satisfaction that cannot happen. Quiet my soul. What would it look like for you to have a rhythm where you are quieting yourself or you're, you are participating in activities, whether it's a walk, your family having a meal with another family where you're doing life in community, where you're sharing life together? Like, what would it look like for you to, to intentionally bring adjustments to your existence so that you can encounter the joy, contentment, and confidence of a God who has healing hands, who wants to go cheek to cheek with you. What would that look like? It all leads to this. A table. I love this. This is my favorite part, if I'm honest. You prepare a table. Gosh, this is sick. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. I love this. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow. That word follow, it literally means to chase down, to attack, almost as if it is someone in an, an, an enemy you are attacking and you are relentlessly going after and you will not stop till you get what you want or you get your revenge. What we're being told is that is that there is a pursuit that God has in your life. He's going to feed you with one thing. It's his mercy. It's his goodness. And he's chasing you down with it. He's chasing you down. But he's feeding you where? He's feeding you at a table. He's feeding you at a table. I, I love the idea, the theme of table. Table fellowship, hospitality, eating. It is a theme from the very beginning of Scripture all the way to the end. 
begins and ends with it. And in the places where you find a meal, usually all hell is breaking loose and God gives a meal. So like Exodus, Egypt, life literally falling on. I mean, it is going, it's imploding. And what does God do? I want you to have a meal. I want you to have a meal and I want you to have a meal with your family. I want you to have, eat bitter herbs to remember the bitterness of your time in Israel. And I want you to devour, I want you to eat this. I want you to take your time. At the same time, I want you to speed up. And then he sends them in a moment on a journey where in one instance, all hell that was breaking loose is destroyed at a, t- at, at, a, at a meal. And then you fast forward it to the table fellowship of Jesus. Sin, all hell literally breaking loose. Jesus has a meal. And at the, the, at the tail end of that meal, he now goes to the cross. At the cross, he defeats sin, death, and the grave. And what, what, what are we being told in Psalms chapter 23 about this hope of, of healing hands forming us at the table? Is that all enemies are powerless and God feeds us with his goodness and his mercy. And he's feeding us with wounded hands because of his hands that were on on a cross. What we have as an ongoing reminder and an invitation at the table of communion is a reminder of how far God went to make our souls whole. It's an invitation not just for us to be reminded and come close and be allow that the blood of forgiveness and the broken body of, of, of communion and community to now, it's not just that sinking into us and being refreshed by that, but it's also now running to communion and community with one another. Like what if a meal with another family is one of the tools God gave you and I to refresh our soul. Like what if the greatest thing you need isn't to get, to get on your knees and cry out to God? What if the greatest thing that you need is to get around a table with another family? To hear for audibly from another family, God loves you. He's with you. He hasn't left you. We're on your team. We're here. We're never going to leave you guys. We're with you. Like, what if you being formed in your own heart has to do with the hope that we have in one man who came to empty himself and to be wounded so that he could give to us what we don't deserve, mercy that is new, that is rushing to us, all for this purpose. You can, you can throw, 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 throw up this last screen. This is what I put up last, last week. This is the Three Springs Park in Israel. This is a prophetic picture of what your soul was made to look like. On the outskirts of this location, the Gan Hashlosha National Park in Israel, you have nothing but wilderness that things go there to die. But in the midst of the wilderness, you have three springs that meet together and out of that comes a place that is an oasis. 
You see, what we have in Psalms 23 is a living hope that we have a God who is committed to going cheek to cheek with us, having healing hands that bring life to our soul. And even if you're like Jonah, where you ball out and you leave, he has a way of spitting you up on dry ground to get you back in place so that you can be led by him. You can be formed in your weaknesses and in in your pain, and you can receive from the endless resource of mercy and goodness that wants to hunt you down. This is what we have at our disposal in the everyday journey of life that is haunting us and that is overwhelming and that is dry and hot, yet we have the hope of a soul that flourishes. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We, we are amazed at your grace in our life. Grace found in Jesus. Grace rooted at the cross. Lord, we come boldly to the, the table of communion. We ask in this final week of this series that you would seal our souls. We give them into the hands of a wounded healer. We, we give our souls to you. We want you to be our shepherd. We want you to be our God. We entrust ourselves to you. Lord, we, we honor you. We, we take this sacrament seriously. We take it confidently. All of you for all of us. On the night that Jesus was, was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. If you have not yet received your, your, the cup and the and the, and the bread, just raise your hand and we'll get that to you in just a second. He took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body. This is my body that was broken for you. Whenever you eat this, eat this in remembrance of me. Church, let's take and eat the broken body of our king. Healing hands to heal us. And he took the cup, said, this is my blood shed fully for the forgiveness of sins, past, present, and future. Whenever you drink this, I want you to drink it. Drink in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Church, let's take in the forgiveness of Jesus that makes us whole. Lord, we... We thank you that you are sealing our soul in your hands. We're so thankful. Help us to put our soul every day into your hands. It's trustworthy hands, strong hands. Lord, we thank you that you are only you can take that which was destroyed and you can take a soul that's crushed and you can bring it back to life. For, for, for many of us, we are, we're, we're walking wounded. But will you take this night, not words, not stories, will you take your word, your spirit, breathe, breathe, O King, on us freshly. You have healing hands. We're so thankful. In your name we pray.